0: This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm here with Alexander Darwin. Alexander is uh, has a very interesting background. Uh, He's an author. He's a Jiu Jitsu practitioner, and he has a book series, a book series of which I have read the first book, The Combat Codes, and I am about halfway through the second book. Uh, And I must say that this is quite an impressive work that you've put together and and, and a world that you've built. And I'm really, really excited to talk to you and learn about you. Uh, Before we get into the book, would you mind just giving a little background on who you are, where you are, how you got into jujitsu?
1: Sure, no problem. And uh, thank you, Jordan, for having me on. I'm also a fan of the podcast. I've been listening to it. And you've had some really awesome guests. So I I hope I can even live up to a little bit of what you've had on so far. Um, but yeah, I, uh, as far as my jujitsu background, I started training, um, at at university. I went to Boston university, um, and there was a club, um, and I really went into it with no wrestling background, very little martial arts just kind of was brought along by a friend and it was no Gi. It was run by an MMA fighter. Um, and it was pretty grueling, but I, I fell in love, um, and that was the beginning of my my journey. And uh, I moved across the country to San Francisco uh, for about ten years and, and trained out there um, at an awesome gym right by the beach uh, under um, a half Gracie black belt man Carlos Sapon, um, and became great friends with him, and then. Uh, when my wife and I were going to move back to Boston um, to be by our families, uh, I obviously had to switch schools. And I, I got from uh, my purple to black belt on, in uh, bo- at Boston Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, under Roberto Maia. Um, and I, that's where I started to teach um, about about seven years ago. Um, unfortunately, right now, I haven't been training like I like to. I have a, a little bit of a bat, lower back issue, which I know. As we get older practitioners um encounter these sort of problems so right now yeah. i'm in i'm in a stage where i'm really fiending and i'm trying to do what i can to just to, to rebuild and, and stay off the mats I, I have a baby coming in november so uh my wife has me um i need <laughs> i need to be in in ship shape to to yeah. take care of the, the third kid so I, I need to make sure i'm not hobbling around at this point
0: <laughs> uh, yeah of course um and you're from the boston area you're i am where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and my wife is from Natick, Massachusetts.
0: Okay, great. I went to Northeastern university. So I was right down the block from you at BU. And nice. uh, Yeah, we
1: were probably, we might've been there around the same time and I used to to go over to the Northeastern area every, every so often.
0: Yeah. What year did you graduate? I graduated 2005 2005. Okay. So you're a few years old, two years older than me. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get into BJJ until I graduated. I was a lacrosse player and competitive skier. I skied for Northeastern for two years and uh, I stopped playing lacrosse and I stopped skiing and I needed something to fill that competitive juice. And when I graduated, is when I found jiu-jitsu in 2009. Um, so it, it's just such an amazing sport. You know, it really is an incredible way of life. And uh, it's, it's just, it's so much more than... You know lacrosse and skiing those were their passions i still love to ski but jiu-jitsu is it just does so much more for you have you had that experience i have and you know after having
1: practiced it for such a long time and it being such an integral part of my life and and i know we'll probably delve into you know how it, it's affected my my journey as an author uh it, it is a double a bit of a double-edged sword especially now being injured um being off the mats you really it's when you don't have it when you realize you know how important it is Uh, but we know it's it's a long it's a long road and and um i just want to be able to do this in my you know 70s even my 80s um so i know that there's a lot of time to to get back on the mats hey i have a question did did competitive skiing help your uh your base um i know a lot of surfers i've known a lot of actually professional surfers that that have fantastic, uh, jujitsu. And I think part of it is, is that base?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I did a lot of yoga before I did jujitsu and I felt like I've always made the comparison between the yoga helping my jujitsu. Cause I'm even though I'm a pretty big guy, I'm 6'2, 215, 15, like ridiculously flexible for someone who's that big. Like I shouldn't bend the way that I do, but I, and I, and I really attribute that to doing a lot of yoga for three years. Um, and I play, I, I'm a golfer and I, and I always, and I'm not a very good golfer, by the way, but I always had drew a lot of parallels between golf and jujitsu. And like so few people that I did jujitsu jiu- with are golfers, but I did, I never, I never put the skiing together with the jujitsu. Uh, I don't know why, maybe because I it was just like a two very distinct parts of my life and I hadn't connected them, but I can imagine all those years on the mountain definitely having an effect on, on my base and my standup. Um, so yeah, my sensei always says that and my judo professor, you know, the, your root, your root to the ground. And we talked about that a lot. So I'm going to have to really explore that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I def- as far
1: as I said, the surfers that I know, I know a lot of jujitsu practitioners, especially, you know, um, in Brazil or, or, uh, in San Diego, San Francisco, there, a lot of them are surfers and some of them are pretty hardcore and, and they usually are, are also very good at jitsu.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh surf. I just read Hicks and Gracie's book breathe and he talked extensively. Oh, I haven't about, read it
1: yet, but I've heard really good things.
0: it it's a must read for all jitsu practitioners. And wow, did I learn a lot about the Gracie family that I didn't know? And I'm just going to leave it at that for, <laughs> for all the listeners, but it's a, it's an absolute must read about the the early days from one of the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time from his perspective, which is, is very unique. But he talks a lot about surfing, his love of surfing and his love of jiu-jitsu. And the, those two, two things are very complementary, especially on the West Coast. For us on the East Coast, it's not to say there's no surf culture, but uh, it's, I don't think it's as prominent. So what's your background? Are you a full-time author or you, is this a hobby? I mean, it's the book. Let me just say this the work is more than a hobby. It is expertly done. It is phenomenal uh, story building, character building. The, the, the writing is top notch. Uh, you never get lost. There's absolutely no mistaking the fact that this is a, a, a high quality work. Um, so I guess my question is, are I making a living off of it?
1: Yeah, no. So that's a great question. And, and I, that means a lot coming from you. I, I know you're an author as well. Um, and so you, you fully understand what it takes to make a high quality work. Um, so the answer is no, I still run a small business on the side, um, marketing business. And that's, you know, to support my family and we're slowly edging closer to being able to, um, you know, have, have writing be a a full-time endeavor. Uh, however, we're not there yet. And, um, especially in the past two years, things have taken off quite, you know, pretty well with combat codes. So I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. However, I need to be very conservative with with three kids um, and make sure that, that we're paying, paying the bills first and foremost. As much as I'd like to to jump into it headlong, um, uh, you know, again, I need to make sure that that most of all, the family's taken care of. Um, it does take a lot of work though. And right now, especially with the kids, writing, especially staying in a rhythm. um, It means finding those times in between everything else between um, the regular work as well as, you know, spending time with the family. Um, It might be at night, it might be in the morning. I used to think I was like a morning writer. And I think I do get my best writing done, you know, with a cup of coffee right when I wake up. It's kind of like that. I don't know if you have the same experience. It's kind of like that fuzzy time when your, your thoughts have not quite um materialized and i feel like i do my best writing then i think it's kind of like a especially with fiction i find it to be a a subconscious uh endeavor if you're if i'm too in my head like later in the afternoon it's almost like my thoughts are too are intruding on the writing um so i do think i'm a morning writer but i haven't been able to to do that all the time you just got to make do um as i'm sure you know with business you kind of just have to have to make do with what you have and that that is similar to jiu-jitsu you know whether you have an injury um you know your your arms hurt your backs hurt if you are on the mats you have to you have to um play the game that that suits you
0: yeah well i will clarify that um while i am an author i am not much of a writer all of my works are nonfiction. And it is very much the narrative of my life, and just recounting stories and things that happened to me. So there's not much creativity that goes into my writing outside of uh, ma- drawing parallels and, and and teaching lessons. But it's 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 just been my experience, and so all of my work that I've done is nonfiction. And uh, your work is fiction, world building, character building, a narrative, creating a story. It's uh, in my 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 humble opinion, at least, it is. Something different than what I've done, I can't even make compare myself to you <laughs> and um i really right i wouldn't
1: I, I wouldn't downplay what you've done as well. I think it's a different skill set um, yeah and and nonfiction I've written just a little bit of uh of articles and and it's it's a hard it's also very difficult in its own way. it's yeah. just a different skill set uh it's like judo and judo and and jujitsu perhaps maybe.
0: maybe (laughs) what i think our listeners here and the jiu-jitsu community at a whole will appreciate about your work is the authentic nature of of the way that you write about and describe and interweave martial arts into the character's experience uh do you want to give a little summary of the world that you've built and some of your inspiration behind it Sure.
1: Yeah. The, the inspiration for the world to start was I just saw in fiction, uh, film, TV, uh, as well as, as literary fiction, science fiction, fantasy, um, a lack of realistic combat. Um, I, not that I, I like, you know, I like martial arts movies. I like Kung Fu movies. That's kind of what I grew up on, you know, Bruce Lee and, um, even something like crouching tiger those sort of you know more far-fetched uh aesthetically pleasing martial arts um but every time i saw you know a piece of brazilian jiu-jitsu or grappling or realistic combat in film or even reading i would just you know i would read it over and over and i would be so enthralled to see some realistic combat um so i essentially wanted to write a book that, that focused on that. And, and I decided that a world, um, that replaced, uh, war with uh, single combat, um, essentially, you know, gladiatorial champions, um, representing nations in the place of armies would be a really fun premise. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where I built up the structure from it. And I, I, I did my world building from that perspective. And and from that point, you really have to ask. You know how is this going to work and you're going to poke a ton of holes in in the plot and you know how could this work and then obviously most importantly develop a narrative as well as the characters around that
0: yeah that's that's one of my favorite premises of the show of you know eliminating war for this gladiatorial uh and it's kind of like oh man (sighs) It's, it has like Harry Potter elements and it has uh, game of Thrones elements. And it has like, I mean, there's so many things influenced there. I'm, I don't know if those are your influences, but that I read from it of the, uh, you know, young gladiators eaters going to train. And I just loved it. I mean, you reached out to me a couple months ago and I, I bought it that day and I threw it on my reading list. And then, um, you know how it's always the same thing with books it's like you keep getting a book and then the book the, the list keeps getting wider yeah, and wider and the wider tbr
1: and, the tbr <laughs> pile <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> and uh and then i'm so grateful that you reached out to me again and gave me that gentle nudge and i was like oh you know what and i just popped it right to the top of the list and well i knew as- you i
1: knew you were a big reader uh, yeah. so i
0: figured it would be right up your alley and you yeah. know
1: um that concept of replacing um you know war and armies with single combat and gladiators is is just uh something i would think about when i was a kid and it's kind of a cool concept to think that instead you would have a champion representing um your entire nation then as far as the world building a lot goes into that like if you have to think from a you know semi real, you can't say realistic because we're talking about science fiction fantasy how does that affect if that were the case how does that affect the world like what would nations imagine if if the outcome of of ufc uh mixed martial arts fights determined uh how resources were allocated between nations now what would nations do to make the best fighters that's a question we're talking you know we have steroid use of course in, in modern mixed martial arts but like we're talking the next level if everything was on the line Um, on how these fighters performed
0: yeah it's it's a it's an amazing premise for not just a book but you know Mm on an an entire world and uh that's one of the things that as soon as i got into the first couple chapters and i started to understand kind of where you're going and learning about the world i was like oh i see where this is going (laughs) i kind of i kind of saw the uh the i guess i could say the the potential, the big, the big P, you know, the, the, the thing that makes this kind of juicy and exciting. And then I was just like, (laughs) and I just, you know, I wanted to, the the main character's name is Sego and he, he goes on this journey of finding himself and, and, and taking his, his innate talents, but then he has to match them up against all the people that he encounters in his, his new school, uh, school fighting. And, and it's just a great premise. I don't want to, like, I don't want to, turn this into, a, um, me just being fanboying out on this piece of work because <laughs> I do want people to go and read this, especially lovers of jujitsu and martial arts and mixed martial arts. And you must have some kind of background in judo also, or, or you've trained in judo because it's there. It's, it is omnipresent. Uh, I would say uh,
1: badly <laughs> I've been thrown. <laughs> I've been thrown a lot. I know a lot of, uh, very accomplished judo practitioners, um, mm-hmm. Sambo judo and I I would say I'm more on the receiving end of of that uh practice.
0: There must be an appreciation though.
1: Oh, I love, you know, I I really love, especially I teach I teach Juju, not right now, um, with the back, but we get wrestlers, as you know, you get wrestlers, you get judokas, you get, you know, Sambo practitioners. And what I say to them when they come is is it's it's all good. It's all grappling. It's all, you know, different rule set part of part of the grappling hole and we can all learn from each other in so many ways um so i I really do appreciate all the different grappling arts as well as striking i mean uh, again i've i've done you know several years of muay thai i really didn't like getting hit very much um walking out of out of even sparring class and having a bit of a bit of a headache was not my thing um, but I, I very much, I love the beauty of, of Muay Thai and all the boxing, all the different striking arts. It's all, it's all beautiful to me.
0: Yeah. One of the things you were talking about earlier, um, was getting up in the morning and getting to your writing process and having that cup of coffee and and when, and trying to figure out how to op- optimize your best writing. Did you ever read the book, the art of learning by Josh Waitskin?
1: I, I have read Ex- excerpts of it, and I know he's Mar- one of Marcelo's uh, black belts, and I've heard so many great things. I have to get around to actually reading the full thing, but yeah. I've heard it's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, he's um, he's Marcelo's first black belt. He's Marcelo's business partner in his in his gym, and they're on. They have an online platform also. And um, what I think is interesting is that he's also a coach to some of the the highest level uh, performers on Wall Street and and, and other industries. Um, he, before he was Marcelo's black belt, he was also a chess prodigy, a child chess prodigy up until the age he was 18. And then he left chess to pursue, um, uh, Tai Chi push hands, which is a, another, the martial art of Tai Chi, I believe, or so one of the, one of those martial arts over there. I don't, I, I forget yeah. which one <laughs> it would, that's what led him to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, but through his process of high performance, he often talks about your routine. He often talks about getting up in the morning and what you do, what's the first thing that you do before you go to sleep at night, what's the first thing that you do in the morning. And so I was interested that you brought that up as kind of one of the first frame of references is like how you're optimizing your writing and testing it out at night and testing it out in the morning. Um, My question to you is, has jujitsu or martial arts Carried over into other aspects of your life where you're bringing, where you're able to optimize parts of your life uh, or optimize parts of your writing. Are, th- are there clear parallels that like, you think about? Oh, yeah,
1: for sure. Um, 100%. Uh, I would say one of the most clear was just building a pretty strong work ethic in me as far as jujitsu, having such a clear cut uh, path towards. Uh, putting putting in work on the mats, putting in hours, and that having a real um, result in in performance. I was never that much of an athlete um, in high school. Um, I was never very competitive. It wasn't until even academically I was not very competitive. Uh, I it wasn't until I found Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that I was able to have something in my life that correlated so tightly. Um, for, you know, Matt, obviously you start, you start with some predetermined athleticism, um, based on your, your body type, uh, age, all sorts of, uh, all, you know, all sorts of, um, kind of in- inherent, um, skill sets, but it wasn't until Jiu Jitsu came around that I found that if I put more mat hours in, I would then be able to, to perform the techniques that I, I practiced. Um, uh, they're definitely more subtle, um, influences from jujitsu. One that I've actually been thinking about a lot is um, skillful versus unskillful um, practice. Um, actually, I was thinking about this uh, in relation to taking care of kids and just how I'm about to have my third kid and just how much better suited, at least my wife and I think we are at, you know, child rearing. <laughs> and I mean, anyway, I know you have two kids, Anyone knows that the first kid is always just such a a shit show because you have no, you have no idea what you're doing. No matter what you say, no matter how many books you read, we've all read, you know, every single book on getting them to sleep and feeding them. You don't know. And it's just not, it's about not having those, the mad hours. Um, And I think one thing I recognized with that is just recognize what is unskillful. It's kind of a paradox. If you think about jujitsu, I think one of the when I, when I teach new students, I think one of the things that. I've found successful is almost less so pointing out what to do and more so pointing out what not to do. Um and I think for jiu-jitsu it works really well because it's so broad. I mean, if you're coming from a zero grappling basis, I mean the number of I mean obviously you have basic instructions like if you're if you're actually sparring you're supposed to, you know, submit your opponent or control them. And that's easier said than done for someone with no experience. So there are certain rules or basics that you can tell them not to do. Like, don't give up your back, right? Pretty basic things. Don't bench press. Like, that's a basic one we hear. When you're getting mounted, don't bench press someone off you with your strength. That'll likely get you armbarred unless you have more skill. So I think it's a paradox in that for for any of these skills, uh, you're supposed to know what the unskillful acts are before you're skilled and when you get more skilled then you can more easily i mean you know once we're on the mats now you can easily know from your own body or from watching someone what is unskillful what is not efficient yes um and that's something i think i've taken you know in writing is something i've been actively looking for is when i'm writing either the act of writing at the present time or you know the longer uh, you know the longer um longer strategy of writing an entire book, meaning drafting, editing, everything that goes into it, what is skillful, and what is unskillful. And I think I'm I'm always looking for what's unskillful, because that that kind of uh, whittles down, um, sculpts, sculpts, what you're trying to do. Um, so that's definitely something I, I think it's a bit more subtle, but uh, always looking for the
0: that negative space, the unskillful acts has been beneficial to me. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point um, that mirrors my conversation with John Donahar, which we were, when we were talking about learning heuristics and uh, you brought up no don't no bent pressing or don't give your back or the you know, the two arm or no arm principle and you know, learning these principles quicker can help you get better at jujitsu. When I was talking to Kit Dale, he said the same thing. He very famously got his black belt in three years. And he said what he realized very early on was not any one technique but just general rules about Jiu Jitsu. Like for example, once people post, when they post on their hand, he figured that if he could just break away a post, he was able to off balance them. And if he could just get his weight under any point, he could, he could sweep them. So it wasn't that he was learning sweeping techniques. It was just learning the principle of sweeping. And he found that he was able to sweep people left and right. so I find that very interesting here to what you're talking about as it relates to writing. Two people who kind of well i I guess i got turned on to about the writing process for one joe rogan i don't know if you listen to joe rogan's podcast but he's constantly talking about his writing process and how he writes and that he goes you know sometimes late at night when he gets home from a show and he pours a glass of wine in his case he 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 smokes up a blunt and and then he starts banging away and as long as he just always does that and he just always goes back to the keyboard and then the other one was stephen pressfield in the war of art and uh in his book and he just talks about the the grind of what it takes to be a professional writer and just go back to that keyboard every single day um it's writing or business or anything generally speaking is that mat time it's just you have to go you have to go as much as possible yeah I think
1: I think for writing one of the things that uh, you know if I'm talking to I I am a fairly a newer writer given you know some writers have have hundreds of books under their belt and it really comes down to to writing time, just like math time. I think actually that's another thing that I've taken from Jiu Jitsu that a lot of you know aspiring writers can certainly should look to. They they almost see writing um, as as it as it's as if it's a um, in it skill that people just have. And I find that so, so silly. It's, that would be the same as thinking that playing the violin is something that you just start without putting any practice in, or, you know, jujitsu as the same, whereas I, I don't think, I, I don't think that many people realize that it's something that, you know, you know, Stephen King is how many, how many words has that guy written, um, or, you know, how many words has, have any, of any of these very established authors written? They're putting in their mat time and they're constantly, uh, improving on their craft it's not about i mean again you're you're gonna start with a certain level of of proficiency based on you know what you've done as a child and your, your education etc but that's really just the starting point um it really is about just putting in the hours of writing and and you know writing shit. like really uh not writing good stuff and 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 putting it away and, and then continuing
0: yeah so I have a couple questions about some of the themes in the book. Um, I'm, I, I want to try to be delicate about this because obviously some of the people haven't read the book. So I want to set it up right. But the essence of the, of the name, the combat codes, is is kind of like this, the, the code that the, the Grivar, this race of people in your book that they live by. And the first co- uh, precept of the combat codes is we fight so that the others don't have to and what becomes very clear is that all of the people and the glad- gladiators have all different relationships with these codes some of them live very strictly by the code some of them think they're bullshit and they just want to fight or i'm a street fighter um it's very similar to what we live through it's like it's the martial code you know this the way of living life some people live there look at martial arts like they're monks and samurais and everything they do in their life they they take very very seriously you have other people who are like this prototypical MMA fighter who they don't even know anything about martial arts and maybe some wrestlers wouldn't even consider themselves martial artists. They're just scrappers and fighters. I found this to be, I found like some really deep moments in the book, um, especially as it related to the relationship between some of the characters where you, there's one character in your book, Murray, who is this, uh, a former champion who's kind of fallen from grace a little bit and he, you know the way that he kind of he, he's someone who really lives by the code. And then he looks at some of the the bureaucrats in his position and people who don't maybe follow the codes as closely. This is something that really interested me in the book. and the reason why and and the parallels between business, and also Jiu Jitsu. And I hope that you just, let me break this down a little more and then I really wanna hear your opinion on this. It got me thinking a lot about mentors and the people who teach us jujitsu, and what you're supposed to expect from them and demand from them. Like are people who teach you Jiu Jitsu supposed to be saints in every single part of their life and be perfect and be perfect martial artists? And in business, are your business mentors supposed to do everything perfect and everything right? Um, or is it sometimes gray? Are there sometimes 50 shades of gray? So I'm very interested. Uh, I think that this is a very, very, very important part of getting better at anything in life, um, and, and I'm interested to know like, your intentions behind this, this theme in the book, uh, the theme of the code and mentors and just
1: yeah, no, that's a great question, Jordan. Uh, maybe I'll just, uh, I definitely have an opinion about this, um, in outside of the, 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 the book, um, as far as how mentors, especially uh, in martial arts, uh, play a role. Um, and I think it's always important, because I've thought about this a lot, I think it's always important to consider, um, consider the relationship between the student and the teacher. Um, and I, th- I think some of the, some of the way that, um, Brazilian Jitsu, especially students relate to their teachers are, have been kind of a vest, a vestige of the way things were. So, I mean, the martial art we practice obviously started in Brazil and before that started in Japan and the way that martial arts were studied, um, to some extent, back then were a lot more serious. I mean, right now we're, we're a lot, a lot of most practitioners like, like me are hobbyists. I mean, this is not our, our profession. Um, I'm not a professional competitor. I do it because I I love it and it's a way of life for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not living at my school. Um, and my teacher is not almost to an extent like a father mm-hmm. figure. I think a lot of, old school practitioners, um, depending on how far you go back, may have grown up in a situation where their teacher literally was, you know, maybe putting clothes on their back, um, and they were spending every hour of every day on, on the mats, maybe living at the school. So really, the teacher was taking a different role at that point, in which makes sense that someone was taking guidance from that person outside of the actual practice of the martial art. They were providing them life guidance, how to be a good person, um, how to do all sorts of things. Now I think we're running into some friction nowadays because we still have those old vestiges of, uh, that, you know, mentor student relationship. Um, but we're living in a different world where you know you ha- you have paying students and and a lot of schools their their main purpose is as a business obviously they have um, they have you know good reasons to be to be running a school outside of that but it is a business and that's how a lot of people see it so I think there's there's had there have had to be adaptations on how that relationship is treated so my personal, just given where I stand as a teacher, my personal advice to my students is anything you ask me outside of jujitsu, you should not only take with a grain of salt, but you should consider me somewhat of an an idiot because (laughs) unless it's a specialty, I mean, you could certainly ask me on, you know, my experience as a dad so far, or my experience as an author, uh, any of the places where I have some competence, uh, I'm glad to provide um, whatever advice I can, but you should, you know, this is not and even even as far as jujitsu goes, I mean, we, as we know, there's so many different ways to to do it, and there are so many more experienced practitioners than me. So I always like to keep a really open mind to that, and tell my students to go elsewhere to seek seek knowledge and and you know find what works best for them.
0: Yeah, um, very well said. Dad, uh, I've been very lucky to have as one of my primary mentors, my father in business, and he's a very unique man and um he said something to me early in my career which was hard for me to digest at the moment but he kind of he said something to the effect of you and your generation are coming up and at some point you're going to push my generation out of the way and you guys are going to become the leaders and the students and excuse me the student will become the teacher essentially to your point and you will become the leaders and you will be the people running industries and um and now that I'm at the more of a midpoint in my career, as that's kind of happening. And my father has a very small operating role in many of our businesses. And I'm running uh, a number of businesses. I make that parallel into Jiu Jitsu also as I as I move up and I see the way that some schools and affiliations run uh, almost like the leader is a guru, you know, like a sacred, a sacred cow and um, and I think that that that's very, very dangerous. I, and um, I just thought that the way that you wrote about it in your book was it was it was presented in such a great way to like really look at some of the relationships between the way that people look at um, the codes, the rules, the unwritten rules, you know, the respect, the honor. And I think that those things are so great and should be idealized um, up until a point and there are so many shades of gray in between um, and the way that you can look at some of these mentors the way that kind of Sego the main character looks at Murray this guy who's fallen from grace a little and Murray looks at some of his uh, fellow Scouts and and and, and the, the people who are running the school holding them to these high standards only to find out like that there's there's just so much more underneath and um, and that's kind of it really does relate to something that I'm trying to get at, at the heart of my new book, Business Jiu-Jitsu, um, because so very often my teammates and younger students at the gym, they come to me and they want to talk about business and I and I want to give them advice and I want to show them the parallels between Jiu-Jitsu and what they're learning and growing and business. And so often there's mentors and people on TV and all of these voices kind of like coming at people from every single direction. And more often than not, my advice to them is very similar to yours, which is different people can teach you different things. And to your point before, sometimes it's what not to do. It's what to take away from, from what you're doing. And, um, and, and I, and I just find that so often in the Jiu Jitsu Academy, of like there's all these different people, there's all different, there's doctors and garbage men and every single one of them has something to teach you. And so I was, I was just really pleased to, uh, to read some of those themes in your book, obviously through the lens of the story, but um, I'm going to be writing about something similar as it relates to hierarchy and mentors, because you see that in corporate America also a lot. You see the kind of bureaucracy that you write about. Uh, I thought you did a really good job at, at, at taking something that is very complex for some people to understand um, and, and kind of breaking it down and looking at some of the decision makers that people at different authority levels had to, had to go through, like, hmm, they made that decision. And then you find out why they made that decision, and you say, oh, actually, I can kind of relate to that. So, you know, I, I know that I'm, most of the people haven't, haven't read this book, but. <laughs> no, I,
1: you, you hit it on the nail there, Jordan, um, as far as, I definitely was influenced in, in creating that uh, bureaucracy and, and the relationship with Murray um, Sigo to Murray, and then Murray to the greater bureaucracy of of what's called the the Citadel, um, which is this essentially this uh, uh, almost political organization that creates the fighters. Um, and, and obviously, given the stakes uh, that the fighters are facing and representing their nations, that there would be politics that plays plays into it. It's not it's not straightforward like it it should be quote unquote. And what what I think about. Uh, You know a code of honor i'm greatly influenced by you know like samurai culture and that's partly where it comes from the code of bushido um there's a great book called hagakure which uh has a lot a lot of uh you know bushido quotes within it um but but the thing with any code of honor whether modern or ancient or uh you know made up fantastical or not is that uh, having a strict code that you cannot waver from has has uh, positives as well as negatives. Um, the positive, it means that, you know, hopefully it's a good code of honor and, and it's moral and, and just and that will lead you uh, in the right direction as far as having a positive effect on yourself and your family as well as the outside world. However, having a rigid code of honor can also have disastrous effects as we've seen, you know, throughout history. Um, where even if, you know, every villain thinks the number one rule of writing, you know, bad guys is that they have to think they're good guys, right? Otherwise they're not believable. So every villain's code of honor, they think is, is a just code that they're trying to impose on other people. And, um, I think that is a negative of having those things. So exactly to what you're saying, I think for, for, you know, kids nowadays, I'm, I'm sounding, I'm sounding old here getting, getting so much advice from social media and, and, you know, they're, they're scrolling Instagram and getting quotes. And I think the most important thing is having a set of tools to learn. Um, and that's just similar to, to grappling is more important than the actual techniques that you acquire are, are frameworks and tools for learning, um, that then help you decide, uh, what to pick up and what to discard. And, and I would say that would go for, for, you know, what you're consuming, the information you're consuming, especially nowadays, we have to be so alert into, you know, what we're taking in and what we're going to then
0: apply towards our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy you brought up frameworks. It's a theme that's come up up over and over and over again on this podcast. And one of the most important frameworks um, that I've learned through jujitsu, which I brought with me to business and other parts of my life is a technical framework of learning and getting better most people that work a nine to five job if they went to college they that was basically where their learning ended and they may get a one-dimensional job where they're responsible for one thing and there's not much room for advancement or growth throughout the course of their career unless they go back for some kind of advanced learning um versus what I've brought from Jiu Jitsu, which is this technical framework of constant learning, constant growth, uh, constantly going back and taking classes and re-educating myself, and um, that's been so rewarding to me for for my career. And I give Jiu Jitsu 100% credit for for finding that love of learning and reading and just wanting to get better and better and better. Because at the beginning of my career, my natural talent only took me so far. I got to a point where it, that was it. And I didn't have the answers anymore. And there was this, this very famous story. It was in my first book where I, um, I went to go meet with this all-star private equity guy and he started quizzing me on my business and I didn't have the answers to his questions. And he looked me dead in the eye and said, you're a really nice guy, but you don't know enough about your business. And that lit up a fire underneath me to say, I better go figure this stuff out mm. uh and um and it was all jujitsu it was really all the lessons every single night when my sensei was giving his his talks on jujitsu and his philosophy on martial arts it was like he was talking to me about business and i would have been going through something that day uh some hard thing that i wouldn't want to do and the jiu-jitsu lesson was like it was like he was speaking to the, my soul on business. Right. It was great. So, um, yeah, your book really did the same thing for me. Even though it was th- through the martial lens, uh, a lot of the codes in here are there's some there's some deep themes. A lot of things to unpack and explore. Um, one of the things I'd love to see. I don't. I, I tried looking for it in the book, but it's like. I guess this is one of the. Hopefully, it will come down the road. Is like supplements to the book. Like I want a copy of the combat codes from the book, you know, and, and like, I want fan art. I want to see these characters come alive. I want the combat codes wiki, you know, like all the things that I loved about We it.
1: There are, there are some things in line, which I can't, I can't talk about right now yeah. um, that I'm super excited about that. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm writing outside of the combat codes universe, but I'm hoping also to jump back into it. Um, I still think there's the, the world um, that I created. I'd love to jump back into it um you know I, I completed the arc of the first three books it's it's set to be a trilogy um but but there's always certainly room for for prequels and, and sequels <laughs> yeah
0: yeah just the i remember in in high school i took a class on uh, tolkien and the world building of middle earth and the, the maps and the characters and then um and then more recently, of course, it's been Game of Thrones, like, you know, just gave, wanted to learn and read and do more of the Game of Thrones. And um, so now I have another world that I that I got to dig into. And I'm extremely grateful that you reached out to me. And uh, and I want to keep in touch and, and keep hearing more about what you got going on. And as you uh, produce more content, please keep make sure that I'm on your short list of people to uh, to let know about it and. Just wanted to let you know, it's been a a pleasure speaking with you and also, uh, I'm a fan. So thanks so much,
1: Jordan. I appreciate you having me on the podcast and I'll keep, I'll keep listening. Um, you've had some, some great guests and, uh, I definitely appreciate what you're doing here as
0: well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, before you go, let me just share your, uh, Instagram here so that people can find you here. You are combat codes and. And I shared it before, but I'm going to share it again. Here is where you can find the book on Amazon. The Combat Code Saga. And the second book is Grievar's Blood. And the third book, which I have not dug into yet, is... Is this it? Blacklight Born? Why did I think it was called uh, something War. Uh, well, the original working title for the
1: third book was Grievar's War, and then it, yeah. became, it became Black Light Born. And also, if anyone uh, prefers uh, audiobooks, all three are out. Of the yes. Audible.
0: And I'm so happy that you brought that up because it was actually one of the things I wrote down that I wanted to speak to you about. Whoever did your audiobook knocked it out of the park on the voices. Um, I had um, my first book, This Is It, I had it turned into an audiobook. And my dad and I wrote it together. I thought the guy that did my dad's voice did a great job. The guy that did my voice, I didn't. I didn't connect with it. Not that he did a bad job technically, but I just don't like the recording. Um, whoever did your audio book did a fantastic job.
1: Yeah, uh, his name is David Sweeney Bear. He's uh, a guy from the UK, and it's funny that I when I wrote the book, I had all the names. You know, you pronounce names and and places a certain way in your in your mind when you're writing. And then when he read it, it sounded so much better in, in the British accent, or he does a bunch of like brogues and British accents, Scottish accents, it just sounded so much better that that when someone asks, like, how do you pronounce this name? I just go with his version at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that's interesting that you say that because um, he he did do a great job in that. And there's it's uh, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But really, he did a great job of bringing your world to life and. Just wanted to thank you one more time. Uh, Alexander, pleasure. Please stay in touch and uh, look forward to talking to you again.
1: Thank you so much.